The Axe of the Blood God. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey, and today we're going to be talking about Xenoblade Chronicles X, which I believe came out this week, is now available. Well, all of the reviews have certainly gone up, and one of those reviewers is Polygon's Phil Kohler, who is joining us today. Phil, welcome to the show. Hello. Uh, so we're going to be talking about Xenoblade Chronicles X and kind of digging into it a little bit later, but... Let's start with Xenogears, which is kind of the beginning point of the series. It was created by Tetsuya Takahashi back in the late 90s. Takahashi was a, well, he was a graphics editor. He was a a designer. He kind of came from more of an art background. Yeah. And the interesting thing about Xenogears was that it was originally pitched as a scenario for Final Fantasy VII. I actually didn't know that. That is interesting. Yep. It was rejected because it was too dark. Um, but they thought, hey, this is actually not a terrible idea for a game. So he was given the green light to go and make what eventually became Xenogears. Phil, did you ever play Xenogears? I did a uh, long, long time ago. And I actually never completed it. Um, but But I have messed around with it a little bit. One of the things that's, things that's interesting, I think, about Xenoblade Chronicles X and and the first Xenoblade Chronicles as well is I I have got from from more casual RPG fans, I have gotten a lot of questions about do I need to go back and play Xenogears to get this? Mm. Um, and it, it's it's interesting that uh, they've kept that Xeno naming convention, but it. There, there just really isn't any actual tie between these. It's, yeah, no, exactly. They, there's no real tie between this and Xenoblade Chronicles or Xenogears. Even thematically, I feel like it's yeah. a. You, I, the, you could argue that there is one thematically, but it's it's very minimal at best. Let's say. Yeah, I would say so. Um, I would say that the one thing that kind of ties these games together, and I wrote about it. Over on US Gamers, so it's a little bit of a plug here, mm-hmm. is that they have like this grand vision. They, they just want to all kind of go big or go home, I suppose you could say. Sure. Like the original Xenogears was just, it wanted to tell the biggest story that you had ever seen in a video game. A story spanning thousands of years with characters who were descended from like the Adam and Eve of their respective races with like spaceships and robots and like warring empires and somebody and like intelligences that are kind of godlike or something and somebody's like becoming an angel. I don't who even knows what's going on with Xenogears' narrative. But it was There's a lot. There's a lot. Going yeah. On, let's say. Uh it was definitely a point when RPG developers were really dreaming big with their stories. And part of that was to do with the fact that the PlayStation, well, we had just gotten CD media at that time. And all of a sudden, like you could create these cutscenes and these, these story elements that will seemingly match like the stuff that you could see in anime. Do you remember the, the opening cutscene from Xenogears, Phil? I do remember it um i remember so the thing that i remember most fondly about xenogears which might be a little bit weird um Mm. but it was it was that era of playstation one games where demo discs had become a really popular Mm. thing and i got a demo disc for xenogears uh, presumably with another square rpg I, i don't remember which one at this point um but i bought almost every square rpg that i could for ps1 um I think I spent more time playing the demo than I ever spent with the full game. Um, and the demo had that opening movie on it. Um, and I remember just being like completely floored by it. Just like so excited to, to, uh, get this full game. And, and, you know, and so it was just one of those things where it made your imagination run wild, I guess. Yeah, if you haven't seen the opening cutscenes from the original Xenogears, you should totally check it out. Um, you can find it on our show notes. 
But it, it's interesting because on the face of it, it's a total non sequitur, right? Like there's this giant spaceship, um, kind of like something out of Macross. Even the capital look, the captain looks like the captain from Robotech slash Macross. And like some kind of disaster happens and you're not even sure what's going on. All you know is that the ship's uh, weapons are going haywire and killing all the escape pods. And you're seeing this message scrolling across a scene, a screen saying, you shall be as gods. And everybody's looking really horrified. And then the captain kills himself. And then the next scene you get see is a ship that's been cra- that has crashed on a planet and a naked lady emerges and stands up and looks out in the, the moon. That's right. That's right. And then it's like, okay, uh, what the heck just happened there? I remember, I remember thinking like, as you know, as like a teenager, I was like, this is a little like, I don't want my mom watching. Me. Right. <laughs> like seeing me watch this. That was me in the late nineties with anime in general. I was like, oh my God, they're speaking in another language. Is anybody watching this? Oh my gosh. <laughs> It was, for some reason, it seemed weirdly forbidden that I was watching foreign language yeah. media in the late 90s. But yeah, I, it, it was really interesting. And I, I think you were right in saying that it, it kind of fired the imagination. It, it spoke to this, this really strong sense of ambition on the part of the game. Um, did you ever finish Sino Gears, Phil? I did not, no. Mm, it's a long game. Did you get to the second disc? I also did not, but I do. I am quite familiar with the uh, the sort of controversy surrounding it. Um, mm. And in fact, hearing about that controversy is part of the reason I think that I put the game down and never did get to the second disc. Um, because it sounds like it was kind of a disappointment. <laughs> I I did finish the game, and for the most part, I enjoyed it. Um, I remember. I remember that this was a period where RPGs would have like these really long story segments that you just kind of had to plug through. Like in Final Fantasy VII, it was kind of rejoining Cloud's consciousnesses, right? Where it's like there's Sad Cloud and other Cloud and like Tifa's kind of running through his his memory. And I'm like, oh yeah, get through this, get through this. This is boring, this is boring. Okay, all right, good, we're through that. Um, and they had something to that effect in Xenogears where, like, you had to basically go through all of the different layers of Fei Fong Wong's consciousness. Yeah. And find out about, like, the id and, like, the coward and, and you had to find out about, like, all the different things that happened throughout history and it was really ponderous and, frankly pretty boring and i was like yes yes let's get through this oh my gosh but at the same time i'm like wow this is so ambitious and amazing for a game and i think um one of the reasons that xenogears has kind of remained really strong in like the collective memory um and has a strong fan base to this day is because people were like this is a really ambitious game like it tried to do a lot it shot for the stars didn't always make it um, second disc, unfortunately, becomes a lot of Saiten sitting around in a chair, reading a book, talking to people, and kind of reciting the narrative to you, which is kind of breaking the cardinal rule of narrative in a video game. Always try and show through game mechanics, or just try and show in general, rather than just straight up telling. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, it, kind of fondly remembered i think just for for trying a lot in a way that even rpgs today don't so uh, the sad thing the funny thing is i I would say that there's kind of a xenogears mafia who will brook absolutely no criticism whatsoever of it and are probably uh readying to kneecap me right after this podcast I, i should be surprised by that but i'm not I mean, mm-hmm. I know I know a lot of people love uh, Xenogears, but I thought it was, I thought even amongst the people who really love that that game, that it was kind of a commonly accepted that the second half was weak, and that like haven't they basically you know come out and said like yeah we we couldn't do everything we wanted to like hasn't it been like more or less admitted at this point? 
I'm not sure. Um, I was doing some research into this recently, mm-hmm. and the most of the materials I was reading seemed was saying that it was basically speculation, but it was strongly supported speculation because they found a lot of like unused assets and that kind of thing on the sure. disc. So, sure, that makes sense. The the unfortunate thing about Xenogears was actually the battle system wasn't super great. Um. I recall that the the gear battles were a little ponderous um and kind of slow and not a ton of fun. The the on foot battles were fun, but I didn't like unlocking the different combos and that kind of thing. Uh I it was hard for me to figure out like how exactly you were supposed to go about unlocking new combos for each of the characters. And there were platforming sections that Oh yeah. That were the worst. Yeah, yeah. I I remember now, and it was it was uh I, I definitely got to some of these. Um and I remember specifically like I love platforming, so like the idea of platforming in my JRPG doesn't necessarily turn me off. But it was like that really terrible early three D like PlayStation One platforming. <laughs> <laughs> it was there's a level called the Tower of Babel because Tower of, Babel, of course. Yeah. And like the encounter rate is pretty high in it. And there's this one jump that is so hard to make. And then if you don't make it, you fall like two levels down. And and then you have to go it all the way back while running running into random encounters. And I swear to god I almost put my controllers with the TV in that segment. <laughs> Yeah, I can believe that. I, I, it was just like, wow, like it really blew my mind, like how bad that segment was. And it, it almost ruined the game for me. Like I had been enjoying it to that point, but whoo, like I, I'm just trying to imagine like a segment like that appearing in a game today. But anyway, Xenogear, so that was the original Xenogear, still fondly mem- remembered. And then it kind of, it it kind of got a pseudo sequels, I guess you could say, in Xenosaga, um, on the PlayStation Two, and Xenosaga was supposed to be this like six part insane epic that would extend all the way into the PlayStation Three. Only got three games, yes, and it changed fairly dramatically from game to game. And out of all the Xeno games, I would say I have the least amount of experience with the Xeno Saga games. Yeah. Because I didn't have a PlayStation 2 at that time. I only played the first one. Um, mm-hmm. And I was not into it enough to to get pulled through the whole series. Um, which, from my understanding, is actually a shame. Because from everything I've read and heard from people, it improves a lot as it goes. Um, the first one, I think a lot of people generally consider the weakest, uh, because it, it is so, so story heavy. Um, it is, it is a game that's notorious for having just hours and hours of cutscenes, And it was one of the first, uh, first major RPGs that I remember, um, being fully voiced. So that, you know, added to the, the amount of cutscenes. I think it came out. I think it came out after Final Fantasy X. I think it was after Final Fantasy X. Um, yeah. Final Fantasy X was also voiced, obviously, but significantly less story, let's say. Less story heavy than, yes. than Xenosaga was. And and that was to its benefit, because uh, the super, super, super story heavy games um, haven't aged as well, unfortunately. Um, it's one of the reasons that I'm unlikely to sit through, say, Metal Gear Solid 2, because it was so heavy on the story and the cutscenes that it's like, I don't have time for this. I'm sorry. And yes, Bob is like really pissed off at me. Like, like he just felt a disturbance in the forest for me saying that. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, Bob, but I, my understanding is that Xenosaga Episode 1 was, as you said, really slow. Um, Xenosaga Episode 2 got quite a bit better, 
And then three came out and it was really different from two. And then the series kind of like got cut off. Yeah. But the, the main kind of source of ambition in Xenosaga was just that it wanted to tell this friggin' huge story over the course of six games. Like trying to imagine that is just crazy, right? I mean, the most I've ever seen, the longest anthology I've seen is maybe like the Dot Hack series. I'm not sure how far that went. Did you ever play that, Dot Hack? So Dot Hack, I, I actually am quite familiar with. Dot Hack was four games mm-hmm. in its initial iteration. And then they did, what was it? What was the follow-up? Dot Hack something? Oh, God, I don't remember. <laughs> they did They did Dot Hack and then they did, hold on, I'm going to actually wiki it right now. Oh, so here that we I go. I can actually find it. Uh, they did Dot Hack and then they did uh, Dot Hack slash GU was the dot follow-up hacks. series. Okay. Um, that was three games. Three games. So gotcha. they ended up doing all on the PS2, uh, seven games in total. I don't think it's any coincidence, by the way, that this was all Bandai Namco, yeah. because they not only did Xenosaga, I believe, and Dot .hack, but they were also res- responsible for the Super Robot Wars games, which uh, Super Robot Wars Z, let's see, had Super Robot Wars Z, and then Z2.1, Z2.2, Z3.3, or Z.3, ugh, 3.1, 3.2, that's five games right there. Sure. So, yeah, Bandai Namco really likes to milk, like, really likes to milk an RPG series. So yeah. Xenosaga must have felt like the perfect opportunity so, for them. And and the difference, too, like, the really frustrating thing with, with Dot .hack compared to Xenosaga is, as, as we're talking about, one of the commendable, if, if there's anything commendable about Xenosaga... One of the commendable things is that from game to game they changed pretty significantly. There were big changes to the systems. There were there were changes to just the way the games were structured. Um, they felt suitably different. It didn't feel like just here's more content for Xenosaga. The dot yeah. hack games from game to game are more or less identical, um, or at least within those two series. So the first set of four dot hack games are more or less identical. And then the three dot hack GU games are more or less identical, uh, so it's it's a lot more uh, blatantly like just. Ugh. I remember that actually causing controversy. Funnily enough, when Xenoblade Saga, uh, Xenoblade Saga was three was a lot different than two, and there were people who were like, "I really liked two. What the yeah. heck are you doing with three? So yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously there's there's going to be some people, but I I think it's. You know, whether or not it was, whether or not three was a better system than two, whether or not those changes were for the better, I think is absolutely up for debate. I think it's nice that there were changes, though. Like, it's, it's nice that they clearly put in enough effort that it was a suitably different game. Yeah, well, anytime you change something in a game, you're going to get the haters coming out of the woodwork. And speaking of change, so Xenoblade Chronicles came out a few years later. It came out, I believe, in 2011. Yeah, it must have been 2011 on the Wii. Um, and almost immediately started getting a lot of buzz over here because it came amid a nice little kind of run of RPGs on the Wii. Um, you had Dragon Quest X, you had Xenoblade Chronicles, and you had last story which was the mistwalker rpg and over uh and they also threw in pandora's tower which really wasn't what you would call an rpg but it it looked like you know it looked like a jrpg so people kind of lumped them into that operation rainfall category and nintendo was really reluctant to bring it out over here as i'm sure you remember phil and yep. it got a ton of coverage, and there were petitions, and Operation Rainfall was making a big push. And then finally, Xseed got Last Story, and Nintendo like cra- uh, crumbled and said, all right, we'll put Xenoblade Chronicles over here in the U.S. on the Wii in, I think, 2012. It was 2012 20... or 2013. It was 2012, yeah. Um, yeah. And I remember the one of the weirdest parts about it is that it came out in 
in Europe, I believe it was like November, December in 2011. Um, and it was, it was in Europe. It was in English. It was the same VO that they used for the eventual U S version, but they just wouldn't announce that it was coming to the U S. And at that point it was just like, you clearly like most of the localization work is done. Mm. Like, why would you not just say it? Um, eventually a lot of people, myself included, actually, a lot of people ended up importing it from, uh, from Europe and modding their Wii's to, uh, to allow them to play the European version. Uh, I was seriously thinking about doing that myself. I, I did it. I, I, I probably wouldn't have, except for the fact that I, I was working at Game Informer at the time and we wanted to cover it. Um, so I did it for that reason. Uh, but it was it was just ridiculous that <laughs> that we were kind of forced to that. Um, I found the I, British accents charming. I liked it. Oh, oh, the VO was fantastic in Xenoblade Chronicles. It's one of my favorite parts of that game. This uh, is the power of the Monado! Yeah, I, I'm actually kind of bummed that Xenoblade Chronicles X uh, has a little bit of that flavor, but not as much. Uh, and that's one of the things that I miss from it, um, because I, I really liked the... Uh, this I, I I don't know what it was. It was I, I the the writing and the actual like story in Xenoblade Chronicles, the original Xenoblade Chronicles. I didn't think was great, but no. the VO was so charming that it really warmed me to those characters, and I ended up liking the game a lot more for that. There was a lot to like about Xenoblade Chronicles. It was very much in the kind of the style of a classic PS2 JRPG. Um, especially in terms of the storytelling. Yeah. But it borrowed a lot from more modern RPGs, um, particularly Final Fantasy XII, but I thought it had a much more entertaining battle system than Final Fantasy XII by and yeah, large. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Final Fantasy XII defender, but mm-hmm. even, even as a Final Fantasy XII defender, I think, yeah, there, there's no argument that Xenoblade Chronicles battle system was much more engaging than Final Fantasy XII's. Um, they're, they're both similar in that respect of, you know, being Japanese RPGs that get compared to MMOs a lot, Mm -hmm. um, and that have clearly taken some notes from MMOs, but yeah, I think, I think Xenoblade Chronicles has a much more active and much more, uh, interesting battle system. I think the thing that I like the most about the battle system is that you have to be really seriously, you have to think pretty hard about which weapons you want to use, um, when you're going into, like, say, a large boss encounter. Because if you just try to like hammer your way through a fight, you're gonna lose. Yeah. Um, because the Monado is only good for like mechanical stuff. Yep. And then other weapons are useful for what fighting organic stuff. And then as the game goes on, like you get more and more characters and you can like mix and match and create some pretty interesting combinations of the characters. Other... Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that I liked about the, the battle system a lot is so they ha- there's a part of the the story beat in Xenoblade Chronicles is that the Monado actually allows uh the main character um to tell the future Shulk that's his mm-hmm. name. Uh, oh yeah, that was good, yeah. He's able to see visions of the future um and they actually worked that instead of just making it a story thing, they worked it into the mechanics of the battle system uh into this this really cool method where Every once in a while, if a character was going to about to take a critical hit, like a hit that would actually kill them, you would get a flash, a vision of the future, and then you would know, oh, I've got to, I've got to, you know, I've got to block, or I've got to stun this enemy to block this attack, or I've got to heal, or I've got to, you know, you have options, obviously, but basically, you get a warning because the battle's in real time. Um, you suddenly have a little bit more time to react and figure out. Okay, what am I going to do to stop this from happening? It felt like a just a really clever mechanic. The funny thing about Xenoblade Chronicles is that I blew through it earlier this year when I was reviewing it for the 3DS, and I barely remember it. Like, <laughs> sure. like I'm trying to have, I'm trying to dredge up memories, and I'm just kind of getting flashes of like, so, okay, yeah, this is what's going on in this game. Like the story, the story is and the very characters. The characters in the story weren't memorable. Yeah, there's just not much to it. Uh, there's like, I, there's Sniper Rifle Lady and... <laughs> oh yeah, Sniper Rifle Lady, she was rad. Yeah, she uh, was cool, or no, something. The, the, 
what I remember about Xenoblade Chronicles, the thing that sticks with me about that game, and, and I'm okay with this, I think this is fine, uh, the thing that sticks with me is is the actual exploration and the feeling of, like, the mm. world being so huge and having these giant creatures and being able to see this far-off part of the world. Because it's set up, it's like, the story is this really interesting setup where the world is on the back of a giant that's frozen in time. So you can see other parts and you like look across and you're like, oh, that's like the giant's arm over there. But there's clearly like grass and wildlife and stuff. And eventually I'm going to go over there. Um, it's it's just such a unique and cool setting. And also like the idea that they got all of that to work on the Wii and make it look as good as it does when, when the Wii was, you know, so widely at that point at the end of the Wii's life cycle. Oops. At the end of the Wii's life cycle, especially so widely considered a uh, you know an underpowered system. Yeah, I mean, this like getting back to this whole ambition thing. Uh, this game really pushed the Wii to its limits. Uh, a system Absolutely. that, as you said, was widely derided as being uh, underpowered, and it also tried to push the 3DS to its limits, perhaps to the point that they. It almost feels like they created the 3DS XL with the extra RAM and everything just so they they could support it. I know that they didn't do that for the sole yeah. reason, but it's no surprise to me that Xeno, a port of Xenoblade Chronicles was the first game to take advantage of those technological uh, improvements. Yeah, I mean that's that right there is a, is a sign of how how powerful this game was and how much how much power it took. Is that when they ported it to 3DS, it could not run on the regular 3DS hardware. They had to have the the you know very slight but still extra power provided by the the new 3ds model, um, and it's one of the only games that has done that. One of it might be the only game. I'm not sure. It's the only one that I can think of that I think is exclusive to the yeah, 3ds. There are XL. others. There are others that like oh, if you use it on the 3ds XL, you get the extra control stick or whatever, but and it might load a little faster or what have you. But I don't know if there are any others that actually require it the extra control stick is the reason that you get the 3ds xl to be perfectly honest oh, absolutely absolutely um i will say i will say i didn't play the uh the 3ds port um, it was I'm, disappointing i've always meant to go back and do it but this seems like a game that wouldn't translate that well it translates 3DS. fine what's why what was it dis- disappointing about it then well the ui wasn't good that's why that's why i don't think it would translate well well no the like the actual battles were fine. In fact, I actually kind of preferred them to sure. the Wii version because I found using the Wii controller awkward. Like, they didn't do a good job, like, uh, with the bottom screen and the stuff that was going on there for the most part. Um, the fact that they didn't make the battle system touch-oriented, like, I'm, I'm trying to remember this, like, the fact that they didn't make that, put that stuff on the bottom screen was really annoying to me. <laughs> And then also, it it's just obvious that the 3DS couldn't really support this game. Like, the 3DS was not powerful enough, even sure. with the extra, like, technolo- technology. It didn't look great. <laughs> yeah. So, it was just like, okay, well, it's obviously a significant downgrade on the Wii version. And they didn't do a lot of great job, a good job of making it a, a good port. So, strictly on the basis of whether or not this is a good port, it's not. But the game itself was like a pretty solid RPG. I would say definitely above average. And, and if like it's the only way that you can play it, if you're not going to get a Wii, then yeah, you should definitely, then yeah, you should definitely play it. Sure. It's, it, it's a good solid RPG. Perhaps a tad overrated because people are like, Oh my gosh, I just want this, uh, I just want a good JRPG, so people are gonna go crazy for it, but, uh, but it deserves much of the praise that it got. Um, oh, it's funny, um, speaking of overrated, uh, <laughs> we've got Xenoblade Chronicles X to talk about. So first of all, what did you like about it? Uh, what did I like about it? Yeah, um, let's well, start with what you liked about it. Let's start with the positive energy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, so once again, you know, picking off where the Wii one left off, this is probably the best looking game on the Wii U. Mm. It is so pretty. Um, and, you know, as you might expect, if you get in and look at like some of the details, if you get real up close on those screenshots, 
there's some stuff that looks a little gross that's like, uh, this would probably look way better somewhere else. But it is a very, uh, very... The, the environments just look gorgeous, and they they made me want to continue exploring them. Um, and it and as with the the Wii version, it really captures that feeling of exploration. Um, I think what I said in my review is there's this one moment of like early in the game, the first time you kind of come over a hill and you see this giant, just giant dinosaur creature, you know, sitting by a lake drinking water. And it's such a cool moment. It's, it's, I think what I said in the review is it's one of the few moments in a video game that I think you can actually call epic and not have it be like just hyperbole. They're huge, right? Like you're, you feel like you're walking at the feet of giants. Yeah. No, they're, they are like, like 10 times your size. Like it's not even, they're, they're even bigger than the creatures in the first Xenoblade Chronicles. Um, there's there's a reason for that that we can get to a little bit later, which is the mech suit stuff. But uh, but yeah, so I I think the visually it's awesome. The battle system, which is one of the things that comes over from the first game um, and isn't too changed, I think is still very good. Except uh, everybody has submachine guns now. I mean, I know that they get like I know that they get other weapons and stuff, but like, have, initially a... it's weird. It's almost like Mass Effect. Essentially, every character gets basically a me- a certain type of melee weapon and a certain mm-hmm. type of gun weapon. Um, it it operates similar to Xenoblade Chronicles in the sense that there are certain enemies that you're going to want to use one or the other on, and there's certain attacks that require using one or the other. Um, so, for example, the stun attack that I used uh, for most of the game was basically hitting the enemy with the butt of my rifle. Um, so if I was using my sword, but I needed to stun, I would switch to the rifle to stun. And then, you know, I could be able from there to choose whether I, whether or not I wanted to switch back. Hmm. Yeah. I remember that there was a, um, the customization seems a little deeper. Like that was one of my problems with the original Xenoblade Chronicles was that if I recall correctly, I'm sorry, like I said, my, my recollections of Xenoblade Chronicles are a tiny bit fuzzy for some reason. My recollection is that you can choose which abilities you want to use for your character. Um, and so setting up your ability tray, kind of like an MMO, is like an important part of your party. Yeah. But it didn't really go beyond that. Yeah, but- so there's a, there's a little bit more in Xenoblade Chronicles X, which is... Uh... So you're not playing as a character, a named character in this. Um, you do a character creation at the beginning. You can make a male or female character. You can make them look how, how you want. You can't adjust their boob size anymore because <laughs> they took that out of the U.S. and European version. I apologize. How many people are, how many people are importing the Japanese version just for that? Uh, probably some. I don't know. Uh, there were a lot of people angry about that. A lot of people for bad reasons, some for good reasons. There's shocking. There's reasons to be angry about that. I don't know, whatever. It's the choice that they made. Um but in addition to that, since you're not playing as a as a you know, named character and since you're making your own character, they also wanted to give you the ability to choose sort of the the ability path your character goes down, which weapons they get, which skills they get. Uh so there is a sort of a class tree. Um it starts from one basic class that you level up to rank ten. Um, once you get that to rank 10, it splits off into two more. Those two split off into two more, and then there's a final one from each of those. Uh, so, so yeah, there are there are quite a few different choices. Um, the other nice thing is that you can actually switch classes whenever you want. As long as you've got to that point in the tree and unlocked a class, you can switch over to it at any point. Um, so if you want to you know, go all the way down the tree to one end and then go in the opposite direction and go down all the way to the other end and just unlock everything, um, you're allowed to do that. Uh, The thing that's interesting to me about Xenoblade Chronicles X is that even though it's similar to Xenoblade Chronicles, it's like diametrically the opposite in a lot of ways. Like, it's a lot more open-ended in just about every aspect of the game. Like, And that's not just exploring the world, but also changing your character right because your characters in the original xenoblade chronicles are pretty much locked in um it's just mixing and matching them so in that sense the original xenoblade chronicles is much more of a traditional jrpg whereas this is 
I mean, the almost like thing, a Western RPG kind of thing. The character thing's not too different. Uh, mm-hmm. only, only in the sense that there's still set party members mm-hmm. um, that you unlock as the story progresses. Um, you can kind of choose when to unlock them. So as you said, it's a lot more open-ended and there's certain types of sub side missions that you kind of start to recognize as you play like, oh, this is the type of side mission that's going to unlock a new party member. Um, so, and once you've unlocked that party member, you can put them into your party at any time. But then there are certain missions that will require certain party members. One of the things that I don't think I talked about this in my review very much, but that did kind of bother me. So there are probably, I think there are like 18 different party members that you can get. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot to choose from. Your party is only four people. Um, the the issue that I ran into is that um, the there are two, the first two party members that you get, um, Alma and Lynn, I believe are their names. They're required for almost all of the main story missions and for quite a few of the side missions as well. So for as much as you're able to like swap them out most of the time, you know that they're always going to be required. So you're not really encouraged to, because you might as well just keep them in your party and keep them getting leveled up. Um, and that takes two party slots right off the bat. Yeah, so that and then your main character is taking up a party slot, obviously. So that leaves one slot. Hmm. Uh, so that for me, it was like main character Elma Lynn, and then that fourth slot was rotating throughout most of the game as I like tried different characters and grabbed characters who I needed to do certain missions and everything. Um, this is a totally separate issue. Yeah, but this is why I think that most RPGs should have six spots. I this is uh, you know I I think on an RPG by RPG basis it's there's some RPGs that that a smaller party makes sense this is definitely one where I think they could have looked at that and said we should probably expand it cuz then there's also an issue like even going out from there um they have a system whereby you can join squads online and if you're part of a squad online you're going to see the avatars of other people who are in your squad as you're exploring and you can actually recruit them and, you know, bring them over to be in your party as well. But, like, at this point, you have three slots taken up by people who are more, more or less essential, and then a fourth slot rotating that you probably want to be leveling up and gaining affinity with. So, like, there's just no... I, I don't know under what circumstances you would want to actually recruit one of those. Unless you, like, found somebody who was level 60 and were just like, I need a level 60 character to just power me through something so one of the concerns i had about xenoblade chronicles x going in was that it would be too fetch quest oriented where it would be like collect all of this stuff and then go and turn in the things because i friggin hate that mechanic in an rpg (laughs) sure it what's your perspective on this in xenoblade chronicles x is it a big problem i i mean there are a lot of fetch quests Uh, Mm -hmm. i don't think there's any denying that um it also does this really frustrating thing, or something I found frustrating, I know some people didn't, but where a, a lot of the quests will be like, it. this will be like a main story quest or a really significant side quest, and your objective will be to collect, it'll say like, go collect this certain fruit that grows in Primordia. Primordia is one of the five continents in the game, so there are five different continents, it's a huge, huge zone, and it will give you no further information on where that fruit grows. All <laughs> nice. you know is it is somewhere in that zone. This giant um, zone. Let's just go collect it. And it's like, well, uh, so there, there, were, there were a lot of situations. And it's, sometimes, it's weird because the game's inconsistent about it. Sometimes you can talk to the NPC who gave you the quest, and they'll give you more information. Sometimes it will show up on your map as like a, as a waypoint. And sometimes it's just nothing. Uh, but so there are there are not just fetch quests, but there are some fetch quests where I just didn't know where to go and had to just kind of blindly explore until I found the thing that I needed. You know, I saw somebody kind of comparing Xenoblade Chronicles X to Dark Souls, interestingly enough, but... in that it's a game that, like, Dark Souls is happy to not give you a lot of information on how things work or where things are. Um, it's very much, it's not a hand-holding game. It's, so I get that comparison. I get Mm -hmm. where they're coming from on that. 
the difference for me is that the systems in Xenoblade are so complex. Um, and the way the the way that the systems layer upon each other and interact are so so complicated. Um, and and Dark Souls. It's not to say that Dark Souls is a simple game by any means, um, but there's. I feel like with Dark Souls, there's only so much experimentation that you have to do to figure something out. Whereas in Xenoblade, the systems are so complicated that I hit certain points where I was like, I just don't know how to figure out what this thing does or what use it is to me, so I'm just going to ignore it. Hmm. Um, and that's not... That doesn't seem good to me. That seems like like particularly bad design. So speaking of systems, let's talk about the mechs. Yeah. How long did it take you to lose your mech? To, to lose it? <laughs> to, how long did well, it take off, for you to blow it up? First off, let's <laughs> talk about how long it takes to unlock your mech. <laughs> Because, yeah, like 30 hours. Yeah, so this is a game that, like, they've sold it. Like, in all of the, the trailers and the Nintendo Directs and everything, they've sold it as a game where you jump in mechs and explore. And for anybody who's watched that stuff, don't expect that for a long while. <laughs> yeah. It, it yeah. takes, like, in my in my playthrough, it was, like, a good 30 to 40 hours um, before you actually even get the quest to unlock your mech. And then you have to do a huge, like, series of quests to unlock it. Um, those are very fetch questy. Uh, they're not very fun. Luckily, yeah. I had most of the stuff I needed at that point, so it wasn't a big deal because it's just random stuff you could pick up as you're exploring. But uh, so that's just to unlock the mech. Um, and then the the fun part was I unlocked that around level twenty seven or so. Um, all of the mechs that you can purchase are level thirty. So I had my mech that I could use. But I couldn't purchase mechs for my party members to use. So it was just me rolling around in a mech and my party members trailing behind like, yo, wait up. Um, <laughs> it reminded me of Xenogears where like sometimes you could go into a mech, but your party member would be on the ground. Yeah. It's... And they'd be like an itty bitty spot <laughs> next to your mech. Yeah, it's it's really goofy. It's really goofy getting into fights that way where it's like they're they're just like nicking at some monster giant monster's leg and you're like in a giant robot standing up anyways uh, the other the other weird thing is your mechs don't actually gain the ability to fly until about another 10 to 15 hours after you unlock them mm-hmm. um, so that's even further down the story path and the way that you gain the ability to fly isn't it's never forced by the story or never even like suggested really uh, it's just when you hit a certain chapter, a quest shows up, a random quest that you can go pick up. <laughs> it's just like all this weird, like, just go find it. Um, as far as losing my mech, okay, so I unlocked the mech about 30 or 40 hours in, take it out for a stroll. Uh, I went to the desert zone, which is called Oblivia. Um, first thing I did is I saw that there was a weird, like a platform out in the middle of this abyss. And I was like, you know, I don't have my flying, I don't have my jets yet. But the platform's really far down, and my mech can jump really far, so I think I can make it. And I definitely didn't make it. Um, <laughs> I definitely fell right into that pit, spawned without my mech, had to go back to the base and get my mech um, rebuilt. I the asked uh, Takahashi why he decided to go with that route uh, with the mechs, because I interviewed him during E3. Uh-huh. And he said, I want to make them feel valuable to you. I want them yeah. to feel like a treasure. So the way that it works, uh, the way the system works, which is kind of interesting, your mechs are insured. Um, and each time that you die... By Geico. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> weird bit of advertising. But, you know, Nintendo needs to make money on this niche uh, import game, however they can. Uh, <laughs> I think that was, a, that was a joke, by the way. <laughs> it is a joke. <laughs> they're insured. <laughs> they have three stocks of insurance. And when you die in your mech... You have a, a quick time event essentially, like it's like press B now, and if you press B, you basically eject from the mech before it explodes, and don't have to. You don't lose your stock of insurance. Um, if you don't do that fast enough, you do lose the stock of insurance, uh, and then you're down to two stocks, and then one stock. When you've lost all your insurance, you can still get your mech back, but you have to pay a lot of money, mm. um, and. At, at, at that point in the game, I had built up quite a bit of money, hadn't been buying a lot, and was like, ah, no big deal. But 
as soon as I hit level 30 and had to buy mechs for my party members, I spent most of my money buying mechs. So, uh, so your, your money ends up going very quickly. Hmm. Um, as if, if you're not saving your insurance. Uh, the good news is when your party members die, they always save their insurance. So, um, that's, that, that much is good. So but, they're sad at least. Yeah, there is that. So but, it's fun once you get all of your party members and mechs, right? The, the last, the last part, the last time that my mech died, when I lost my last bit of insurance, it got eaten by a sandworm <laughs> in, in this desert realm. And I was really, really depressed by that. But also it felt like just a really cool story. Like, oh, I'm rolling around in the desert and a worm ate my mech and it's not insured. No. Yeah, I don't know. So word on the street is that Xenoblade Chronicles X doesn't have much of a story. Like the very little story. The the point of the game is to explore around, walk uh, across the landscape, fight monsters, build up your party members, and just kind of chill in this really beautiful world. Yeah, so there is. There, yeah, that's that's correct. There is an interesting setup for the story, which is, uh, so it's not connected to Xenoblade Chronicles in any way, which makes the title very confusing. Um, but it's... Well, didn't uh, you see the big X in the name? I mean, yeah, it's different. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, but the, the story is that uh, Earth basically got caught in the path of two warring alien nations and got destroyed. Um, but before it got destroyed... Uh, a fragment of humanity basically blasted off from the planet on this giant ship called the White Whale and uh, escaped from the the conflict. Uh, And then the White Whale has crash-landed on this new planet. That's the planet that you're exploring in the game. Um, So there is is a a really interesting seed for a story there, uh, but they don't do a ton with it. There are a couple of, like, twists and turns and... As you do story quests, you do get some fairly lengthy cutscenes, but I just I never found the story stuff very interesting. That said, for for as much as the the first game story ended up being pretty generic and not interesting either, I was kind of okay with it being light on story. What about the cast? Ah, they're they're there. They sure are. They sure are a cast of characters. Um with the story being so light, I just feel like there's not much to do with the 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 party members. You do have these what's called affinity missions, which are when you've built up enough when you've built up enough affinity with a party member, you can uh, you can do a mission that's going to flesh out their backs their backstory just a little bit. But that backstory, I, I never found it very interesting for any of the party members, um, so it just wasn't. Wasn't a huge deal for me. I did a lot of the affinity missions, but primarily just as a as a way to gain experience and explore more. So, overall, overall thoughts on Xenoblade Chronicles X. Um, you seem to think that it was a game with a lot of potential that maybe had some flaws and didn't quite realize that potential. I think that when you're just chilling out, exploring the world in Xenoblade Chronicles X, especially when you're doing that in a mech... It can be really cool, and it can it can provide some moments that very few other RPGs have been able to provide, just in terms of of the scale of that world. Um, those moments are really, really incredible. Um, there's just enough enough problems and enough stuff that bugged me that it really did detract from those moments. Uh, so, basically, I my my final conclusions that I came to were that it is a a really gorgeous game. It's a game where I think when you are just walking around exploring this beautiful world, especially when you're doing it in a mech, it can be really awesome. Um, It just has so many tiny problems that those really added up and they did detract from the overall experience for me. Um, I definitely don't think it's a bad game, but I was disappointed compared to the first, and I I really hope that they... uh, improve on it with whatever they're going to be doing on the NX. (laughs) 
All right, so now it is time for the question of the week. We got another question. And when I say question of the week, no, it's not every week that I do this. It's whenever I have a chance to read it. Um, but this week's question is from Kyle Wright. And he wants to know, what RPG do you feel you've made the biggest time investment with? And why do you think that was the case? He goes on to say, as much as I love games like Dark Souls and Final Fantasy Tactics, seeing my party grow in the original Pokemon games as a kid was probably my biggest time and emotional investment. Much of that was in large part of being caught up in the international phenomena of Pokemon, but bringing my party to link cable fights and witnessing respective species evolution for the first time was really something magical for me. So Phil, what is the RPG that you've put the biggest time investment into? Uh, are we counting MMOs? Yes. Well, then, I mean, because if we're counting MMOs, there's just no doubt it's World of Warcraft. You've played a lot of World of Warcraft over I've the years. I've played a really silly amount. And I mean, to be fair, it's it's a game that's existed for uh, 10 years at this point. 11 years? 11 years at this point. We're on, we're on year 11. Uh, it's existed for 11 years at this point, and I've played it every one of those years at least a little bit. Um, and, and for some of those years, a lot. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it kind of makes sense that over 11 years it would, it would really add up. Um, there's just no other game that like that, that I've returned to over and over again for so long. When did you stop playing World of Warcraft? I, I Do you still play? I mean, I, You're I played, still going? I, I played during, I haven't played since this year, since, uh, probably like April, um, but I, you know, I was back for Warlords of Draenor, which came out li- late last year, and I will almost certainly be back for Legion next year. In fact, actually, I I say that um, I'm in the Legion Alpha. I just got in the Legion Alpha, and I'm going to be checking Dang. it out next week. So, so yeah, it's, uh, it's something that I'm always returning to. Well, you're holding on. Uh, our resident WoW maniacs on staff, uh, Jazz Rignall and Mike... Um, they're out. They're done. Uh, Jazz is working on an article, um, this, like, for our fall, our, our big wrap up series where it was like, this is a year that he finally stopped playing World of Warcraft. And this is really significant because Jazz was so into World of Warcraft that he ran the official World of Warcraft magazine. So that tells you how much he loved World of Warcraft and even he is finished with it. Just out of curious. Is he, is he finished or will he be back? I don't know. He seemed really put off by Burning uh, Burning Crusade. Or not Burning Crusade. Um, The most recent one. Warlords, Warlords of, Draenor. of Draenor. Yeah. Yeah, not Burning Crusade. Warlords of Draenor just seemed to really rub him, off, rub him the wrong way. Yeah, I mean, so. it did for a lot of people. There's, yeah, there's issues with it. I think more issues with the way that Blizzard handled the, the continued content for that expansion. But we'll see. A lot of people... I mean, it's very common for World of Warcraft players to... To be like, I'm done. I'm never going back. Uh, oh, as God. soon as the next expansion comes out, to be like, all right, I'll check it out. That sounds familiar, yeah. Out of curiosity, what's the non-MMO RPG that you've invested the most time into? That do you I've feel? I've invested the most time into. Um, probably Final Fantasy VI. Mm, yeah, um, that makes sense. Just Not just in the sense that, obviously, it's a very long game and one with a lot of stuff to do and find, but also just one that I've played over and over a lot of times. Uh, so so I think it would probably be that, um, with with the next closest probably being uh, like Fallout 3 or something. So the obvious answer for me is Pokemon. I've invested sure. just a stupid amount of time into that game. So I'm just going to pick a, a less obvious answer than Pokemon, and by the way, most of the reason that I invested so much time in Pokemon is because literally you have to invest a stupid amount of time building up your monsters. I used to give my my 3DS or my DS to my girlfriend and be like, ride back and forth on the bike while you're like watching TV or something and just hatch eggs and then keep the, the ones that I'm telling you to. And God bless her. Oh. That woman has the patience of a saint. Because she did it. She did it for me. It's true love. That is true love. 
But I think, realistically speaking, the game that I, the RPG that I invested the most time into outside of Pokemon is Final Fantasy VII. Sure. Because I used to beat that game, like, practically, like, every other week. Like, I got it to the point where I could finish that game in, like, 20 hours. Yeah. Final Fantasy VII's got to be up there for me, too. Um, You know, in in retrospect, I don't like it as much as VI, but I definitely spent a long time with it, nonetheless. I beat it over and over and over again with, like, every character combination. I did everything. I raised the chocobos. The only thing I didn't do was beat the weapons. I never got to the point where... I actually didn't either. Uh, I've tried really hard. Well, yeah, it was hard. Well, I just couldn't you, do it. The internet existed by that time. Um, and there were guides floating around on using, God, uh, the, I don't even remember what the materia was, but like there was the Phoenix materia and then there was the one that would repeat an action. And then you could like do the Knights of the Round like five million times until you finally took out a weapon. Yes. Never got that to that point. Um, I would say like my best Final Fantasy accomplishment was beating, well, I beat Ozma Weapon or Ozma in Final Fantasy Nine, which is like a super endgame boss. Yeah. And I also managed to beat Omega Weapon in Final Fantasy Eight, which is the one that's in, um, it's the one that's in Ultimecia's castle and sure. will basically kill your party. Um, so you have to, you have to use Holy Wars to make yourself invincible, or you have to use Renoa's dog to keep yourself invincible. Yeah. So, did you ever beat those? No. Not even close. <laughs> well, I guess that I'm just the ultimate RPG master, Phil. <laughs> Phil, plug something for this podcast. Uh, <laughs> sure. Why don't you head on over, if you listen to this podcast polygon.com and take a look at our review section and you're going to find my xenoblade chronicles x review maybe maybe stop in leave a comment about how you like the review because there's a lot of a lot of angry comments right now because i didn't give it a high enough score um and uh and if you're interested in more world of warcraft stuff since we had a little discussion about that next week on youtube.com slash polygon i should have some video of the world of warcraft legion alpha so we'll see what's up with the next World of Warcraft expansion. And your follow-up for Let's Play is ongoing, right? Uh, yes, it is. That is still going on as well at youtube.com slash polygon. We we took a little bit of a break. We had a few disastrous episodes, but we're actually getting started again today, I believe. How far are you? Uh, not very. We we made it to Diamond City, and then uh, then we had some, some problems. Mm. Uh, and... Now we are we are just getting going again. Technical problems or like it was a mix of technical and scheduling problems, and also we just recorded an episode that we it was just a disaster because we went into an area low, too low level for it. Um, so oh yeah, it was a it was a, a mix of things, and I was just like we should just take a break for a little bit, uh, and then the holidays as well, of course, on top of all of that, of course um, Thanksgiving. But, yeah, but we're we're back to it now, and things are going a little bit smoother at this point. Well, excellent. And, of course, you can find me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Leave a review of the podcast on uh, over on iTunes. Um, we're over on Stitcher now, which is a podcast distribution app. So if you want to use that, you should also leave a, a, a review there so that we can kind of build up our presence um and if you want a question read on the air on x of the blood god send it along and i will throw it into the pile i've got a nice big pile of questions and i am going to keep reading them thanks to kyle wright for sending in a question and thanks to you phil kohler for dropping by always good to chat and i appreciate your perspective on xenoblade chronicles x Don't let the haters get you down. I won't. Thank you for having me on. And until next time, I've been Cat Bailey. Thank you for listening through my hoarse, hoarse voice uh, from my cold. Um, Hopefully I'll get a lot better next week.
But in any case, we will be back next week. And I imagine that we're going to be starting to wrap up our beginning to wrap up the year. It's that time of year looking back on the best RPGs of 2015. But until then, for Phil and myself, I've been Cat Bailey, and happy adventuring. Happy adventuring.